fairly certain that this is Chicken Philosophy, Carl Jung's Black Books, Part 29. Um, <clears throat> and I'll go ahead and pick up uh, right where I left off yesterday, or whenever that was, a few days ago. All right, I hope everyone's doing well. This, the thing that I've ended with yesterday, this highlights the exquipoisy one needs when engaging with the rustling shades. Hmm. All right. Is that too quiet? Yeah, it's too quiet. The exquipoisy. Um, I don't normally do this on this program, but just this once, Editor Edward, would you tell us what the hell exquipoise is? Equipoise, meaning balance of forces or interests. Also, to balance or counterbalance something. Equipoise. Okay, so now you know what exquipoise is, but I don't. But since you do, you might be able to figure out the meaning of this sentence now. I'll read it again. This, the thing that I read at the end of part 28, remember? No? This highlights the exquipoise one needs when engaging with the rustling shades. Hmm. All right. I'll keep reading. Mm-hmm. They show up? What are you talking about? All right, 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 all right. Let's play a, uh, a sped-up version of this of this small font, different margins thing from the end of last time, real quick. Near the beginning of our enterprises, one of us wrote in his journal, sensation today of the work once again coursing through my veins, mediumistic feeling, giving myself over to it, my voicing, my verbal articulation, the voice of the dead, of the shades, the presences that will enter the public stage through the medium of my pen, my language, speak indeed you are, speak indeed you dead, receive my libations, resound forth, what's more. All right, so given that, and this is now officially too loud. Given that that was what they're talking about, and given what exquipoise means, both things I don't know because I'm not going to take the time to read this thing that you just heard sped up. Now I'll read it, and hopefully I'll catch up at some point with what you already know. All right, let's do this. This highlights the exquipoise, or exquipose, exquipoise, equipoise, not exqui, equipoise, one needs when engaging with the rustling shades. They show up, then you've got to show up. <laughs> they respond to the blood. Then you not only must give blood in 
the first place, but also be responsible for what you hear. After all, this is only a clear-glit, hyperbolical, more responsible transaction than the ones we engage in most of the time. Transactional, transaction still costs one's blood sacrifice. The implication runs, feeds this insight as it feeds no other. Another of our troika, in response to the completion of our transition translation, recalled a strikingly relevant passage from Nietzsche, quote, of all things I love only that which is written with blood. Write with blood, and you will discover that blood is spirit, end quote. Okay, so just to recap, um, yesterday I read a little bit of The Life and Liberation of Padmasambhava, which is interesting. And uh, then normally I'm reading Tipitaka, which are like the instructions that Lord Buddha gives on how to run a nunnery, a Buddhist nunnery or monk, monkery, monkery. All right, so there's Padmasambhava, Tipitaka, and then Meccan Revelations, which is about, about Ibn Arabi, who was a Sufi, but he was like a more like, like he's like he's writing stereo instructions or something. I mean, it's not that it's not profound. It's just I mean, it's a little, in a lot of ways, like further out than Rumi or Hafiz ever get. They kind of go as far as, I dance so much and I love God so much that you just wouldn't even freaking believe it. It's like if love of a wife is an ant, then my love for God is the size of the universe. And it's like yeah. It's comprehensible. It's like, okay, the things they're saying may, be, they may very well be very nice, but what Ibn Arabi is saying is like, the seven strata about which the mortal consciousness knowledge allowance uh, separates the immortal knowledge but lack of permeability into the material plane from the, you know, I mean, it's like, he's saying stuff. And it's a little bit like, ooh, what's he saying? What's he saying? And it's almost, it's almost as challenging as reading this, this introduction by Sonu, what's his name, to Carl Jung's Black Books. This is the least comprehensible thing of all the things I'm reading, it goes black books, least comprehensible, then uh, uh, then uh, Padmasambhava, then uh, more comprehensible is Meccan Revelations, and the most comprehensible is Tipitaka. All right, that's just my little my little two cents for today. Through practice, we arrived fairly soon at the following working principles. One, smooth out as little as possible. Retain the contours of the discourse. See, I'm doing it right by saying a bunch of dumb shit and then not editing it out. It's the, the Jungian way. See, it's an, a thing within a thing. It's like a turducken. 
my confusion about his confusion helps to sum up the confusion of it all, which we shouldn't iron out like he did when he made the Red Book. Never mind, I'll just keep reading. Uh, yes. Two, add nothing nor take anything away. Three, when incapable of lifting and carrying, leave signposts for later travelers. Okay, if you're speaking literally, then that doesn't make sense. If you're speaking abstractly, then I guess it could make sense. Because when you're speaking abstractly, you can kind of make most things make sense. I've read, you know what, let's, let's take a moment to appreciate something that makes as much sense as some of this stuff that we're reading today. The Poetry of Sonnet One, which is a computer program I wrote. Let's do some Sonnet One bibliomancy, shall we? Some cream faintly by rains truly. As the winds flick a pickle with some glass. As the dildo straps despite a flower. The most sensitive penguin drains gallantly with the lass. A special hamster pretends slightly between some power. <sighs> that's nice, that's nice. It's a nice relief for the brain to, uh, to it's kind of a shortcut to a Burroughsian word cut up. See, it, it starts to undo the effect. The, the effect of recognizing that word and language is a virus and curing it gets ends up getting undercut when you mention the name of the guy who popularized those concepts and that practice what am i talking about it doesn't matter but basically Sentences that make sense are the bane of all of our existence. I mean, they, they can be helpful with certain things. Do you have a half kg of onions? Yes, let me get it for you. You know, it helps to uh, smooth, smooth, you know, make things happen in, in the world. But when you get to something like this, it's, it, it's better, it's, it, it would be better if the words were arranged in such a, a ridiculous order that it just makes, makes your brain tickle and giggle. Rather than say these things as if the person reading them or the person hearing them is going to go, mm, ah, yeah, mm, mm -hmm. No, if you have nothing to say or you're so confused but you insist upon talking that you're going to articulate the confusion 
much in the similar way that I am now, although I think I'm making a lot of sense. This would fall under the heading of being clear about being confused if you're um, making reference to transformations by my dad. All right, I'll just keep reading. I'm sorry, I'm being a little bit feisty today. All right, yes. When incapable of lifting or carrying, leave signposts for later travelers. So they'll know, hey, this shit's too heavy to carry. All right. Four, set down what we have carried as soon as we hear the buzzing cease. Parentheses, the root sense of rune is a certain raucous sound or white noise. Okay, so we're talking about the runes. It makes sense that... Things don't make sense. Where are my runes, anyway? Why am I looking here for my runes? They're somewhere. I think... Well, anyway. I'll find them. <clears throat> I mean, it's odd that I don't know where my runes are, isn't it? Is it? Is it? Is it even odd? No, no, it's not very odd. I mean, my, my feeling is that wherever my book on runes is, it's there with it. And I don't see the book on runes either. So that's how it's going to be. All right. You guys enjoying this one? It's a little, little on the silly side, eh? All right. See, like last time when I did uh, Meccan Revelation 6, I like smoked some weed beforehand and just did nothing but read. Read it all the way through. And today, stone cold sober. And I'm just like... It's like when you're, when you're doing something that's difficult and you concentrate um, and you get it right, and then you do something easy, and you like, I don't even need to think about this, and you get it wrong. Is it like that? Seems like it. Writing to his patron on contemplating proofs for, ah, uh, that's the thing, is when you have patrons, and they're willing to tolerate you saying, flubbin' lettuce pangle bottom underneath the volume of the sarcophagus of the cosmos, or else, and they're like, wow, you're really going deep, Carl Jung. Fuck, have some more money, you know, like, maybe there's that angle to it, you know. No, I'm just kidding. This is Sonu trying to make sense out of Carl Jung. Whew, how far gone is Sonu? Hi, Sonu, if you're watching. Anyway, writing to his patron on completing proofs for his translation of Plotinus, Stephen McKenna humbly noted, quote, it will be creditable, but there is no disguising the fact that a few more decades could well be spent on bringing it to a really fine polish, end quote. They charge by the hour. Ten years on from the translation of Liber Novus, the translation of the first part of this work, covering the entries from the autumn of 1913 to the summer of 1916 afforded two of us 
a welcome opportunity to continue polishing the work done in conjunction with Mark Kybers, whose effort is gracefully acknowledged on Liber Novus. Polishing went on at the same time that we were peeling back the text to an earlier layer, before Jung's own literary elaboration. We were joined in this and in the translation of the material after 1916 by Martin Liebscher, affording a fresh set of eyes and linguistic skills. For all three of us, this labor has been a strenuous pleasure and a profitable education. It is time now to release the translated runes, which we in turn have been clinging to. Whether the results be credible or not is for others to tell. All right. Abbreviations. Should I read this? CFB. Carrie Baines Papers, Contemporary Medical Archives, Welcome Library, with two L's in the welcome. Must be Nepali. And that will make sense if, you're, if you've ever been in Nepal. London. CLM, Countway Library of Medicine. You know what? When these abbreviations come up, we know where to look. I'm not, well, it's just one page still. I'm not going to read these abbreviations. Appendix. Take it out, take it out. Mandala Sketch 1 appears to be the first in the series of Mandala Sketches and is dated August 2, 1917. It is the basis for image 80 in the calligraphic volume of Liber Novus. The legend at the top of the image is something in Greek. Oh, Thanes. Legend at bottom, quote, Stoff Wetzel in Individuum, end quote. Parentheses, metabolism in the individual, end parentheses. And aren't you glad I recently got that scanner? I know I am. <sighs> All right, this is how it's going to be for maybe ever. Mandala Sketch 2 is the reverse of Mandala Sketch 1. <clears throat> Sorry, didn't mean to hit you in the black PV. I mean, it's phallic shaped and that's its color. Um. Mandala Sketch 3 is dated August 4 and 7, 1917, and, and is the basis for image 82 in the calligraphic volume of Liber Novus. Proofread, Sonu. Just a suggestion. <clears throat> Ooh, that was nice in the end. Mandala Sketch 4 is dated August 6, 1917. <clears throat> it's open on one end, like the, like, like Gurdjieff's uh, Enneagram or something. I think that's a requirement for mustachy cult leaders and their mandalas. Systema Mundi Totius. In 1955. 1955? 1955. In 1955, Jung's Systema Mundi Totius was published anonymously in a special issue of Doom. 
dedicated to the Eranos Conferences. In a letter of February 11, 1955, to Walter Corti, Jung explicitly stated that he did not want his name to appear on it. Parentheses J.A. End parentheses. Any clues? Nope. Oh, let's check the abbreviation page. All right, all right. Now we know what the hell's going on with the abbreviation page. J.A. Carl Jung Collection, History of Science Collections, Swiss Federal Institute of Technology Archive Zurich. Oh, maybe that's their source for that little, little nugget of uh, information. He added the following comments to the painting. What painting? This painting. <clears throat> you can look at it while I read about it. I'll move around on it because there's a lot going on. <clears throat> It portrays the antimonies of the microcosm within the macrocosmic world and its antimonies. At the very top, the figure of the young boy in the winged egg called Erica Pios or Fanes and thus reminiscent as a spiritual figure, excuse me, of the Orphic gods. His dark antithesis in the depths is here designated as Abraxas. He represents the Domus Mundi, the lord of the physical world, the Demiurge. No, I'm, I added that. Um, and is a world creator of an ambivalent nature. Sprouting from him, we see the tree of life labeled Vita. Parentheses, quote, life, end quote, end parentheses, while its upper counterpart is a light tree in the form of a seven-branched candelabra labeled ignis, parentheses, quote, fire, end quote, end parentheses, and eros, parentheses, quote, love, end quote, end parentheses. And when you're translating eros as love, it is pronounced that way. Truly, it's not a joke. And he can sleep in my room. That's the English translation of the Greek word eros. All right, it's light, points to the spiritual, unless you're talking about a car, in which case it's love. Otherwise, it's love. Agape is like uh, brotherly love. Love between divinity and mankind, love between husband and wife, uh, and uh, philos is like the, your love for your best friend, hesmodai or something like that. That that's like being one of the one one of them is like uh, soldiers in arms together, like you you served together, and then there's one that means like overtaken, like you're in love, like I'm in love. Oh God, you know. But then arrows is like <clears throat> love for a piece of tail or like a nice car or a piece of jewelry that you want or that you have and you arrows that thing. You arrows that fucking thing. So seven Greek words for love. That's four and a half of them. Arrows or love. It's light points to the maybe maybe Carl Jung is using arrows to mean like something other than possessive 
you know, meat, you know, love of, of meat in various forms and shapes. I don't know. I don't know. If he is, he's wrong, but it's okay to be wrong when you're Carl Jung. Uh, that's not what I meant. What I'm saying is, we'll see. We'll see what he meant. It's light points to the sea. did talk a lot about the libido, although did he mean what I think he meant? I think he does. I think yes. Okay. It's light points to the spiritual world of the divine child. Art and science also belong to this spiritual realm. The first represented as a winged serpent and the second as a winged mouse. Parentheses as hole digging activity, exclamation point, end parentheses. Okay. The candelabra is based on the principle of the spiritual number three, parentheses twice three flames with one large flame in the middle, end parentheses. That's a little bit like uh, bat canned where Pete Holmes fires Aquaman. Is explaining the trident. A trident's supposed to be three, dipshit. There's three. Look, look, one, another one, two, also two, the third one in the middle, bro. That's a fucking spork, you idiot. While the lower world of Abraxas is characterized by five, the number of natural man, parentheses, the twice five rays of his star, end parentheses, the accompanying animals in the natural world are a devilish monster and a larva. This signifies death and rebirth. For you, a further division of the mandala is horizontal. To the left, we see a circle indicating the body or the blood. And from it rears the serpent, which winds itself around the phallus. Um, as the generative principle, the serpent is dark and light, signifying the dark realm of earth, the moon, and the void. Parentheses, therefore called Satanas, or Satan as, shoved into, you know, Satanas, and, uh, and parentheses. There was a character in a, in a role-playing basic program that I wrote when I was 13 called Satana. Probably not the only one to have thought of that. Um, the light realm of rich fullness lies to the right, where from the bright circle Frigus Sive Amor Dei, see Amor is another, that's a, that's a Latin word, uh, bracket parentheses, cold or the love of God, and bracket parentheses. The dove of the Holy Ghost, because I think, it, when was it? Was it Vatican II? At some point somebody decided, you know, Holy Ghost sounds too like a haunted mansion or, you know, like a, like a ghost. So they changed it to Holy Spirit. Anyway. Uh, takes wing. And wisdom, parentheses, Sophia, and parentheses, just jumping all over the place from Latin to Greek. Doesn't matter what the connotation of the Greek is. Just shove it in there. Shove it in there. Show those patrons that you deserve their patronage. Pours from a double beaker to left and right. Sorry, I don't, I'm... I'm only half joking. Uh, this feminine sphere is that of heaven. 
The large sphere characterized by zigzag lines or rays represents an inner sun. Within this sphere, the macrocosm is repeated, but with the upper and lower regions reversed as in a mirror. These repetitions should be conceived of as endless in number, growing even smaller until the innermost core, the actual microcosm, is reached. Parentheses reproduced in Anelia Jaffe, edition C.G. Jung, word and image, uh, bracket parentheses, Princeton, colon, Princeton University Press, slash bowling in series 1979, and bracket parentheses, page 75, and parentheses, full stop. So, you've been looking at this for a while now. Let's do one more. Image 72LN. And I'll just let you trip out on the image while we turn up the volume on Orbital Inside. That's our uh, that's our episode. So we got we got we're going into the going into the time of the using the scanner as part of this project. Okay, and uh, illustrations and stuff. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope you enjoyed this. I recently uh, put up a uh, an Instagram and a Facebook page for Chicken Philosophy. Some of you might be seeing this as the first or maybe second of the chicken philosophy videos that you've seen on account of just having recently become aware of it if so hello i hope you enjoyed it i don't know you know it's uh it's uh not you know necessarily the best thing out there uh but yeah for those who who know me in other ways and just kind of want it like are enjoying like oh it's his personality this is how he talks yeah it's true um yeah yeah i try to i try to like stay in a pretty positive you know generally positive i mean shit talking is one thing but like you know generally positive though there are some days that are less so and i apologize for those days I'll try not to have them in the future. Okay, um, I think that's about enough for, for today. And uh, until next time, I will go ahead and bid you the usual, which is, of course... <laughs> <laughs>